Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey there, everyone. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And on this day before Christmas Eve, our present to you is a conversation with Congresswoman Jackie Speier. She's had an incredible career in local, state, and national government while overcoming really horrible tragedies in her own life, going back to her fateful trip to Jonestown in Guyana in 1978 with her boss, Congressman Leo Ryan, who was shot and killed by followers of Jim Jones. And, of course, Spear herself was shot as well. Yeah, it's hard to, to know whether it's more incredible her life, her political life, or her personal life. But we are going to revisit this 2018 conversation with Spear. We had her in studio back then to discuss her memoir, Undaunted. And, Scott, I thought... You know, first we can put this retirement into some context. Um, It surprised some people, apparently, even Speaker Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi. Um, But there's a lot happening with the political wins and seats in California. Part of it's because of redistricting, but also it's, I think in Spears' case, she says she wants to come home, stop making that trek across the country. Um, And, you know, we do have a real mix of ages and sort of you know, years of service in our congressional delegation from California. Yeah, even at age 71, Jackie like Spears is still relatively young. <laughs> Isn't that what Pelosi said? She's like, why is she retiring? I know. She's so yeah, young. She's just getting started. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, in her case, as you said, I think it's a pretty much a straight up decision like, hey, I'm done. You know, uh, not a redistricting issue. I'm sure she wasn't worried about getting reelected. It's hard being a West Coast member of Congress, let alone Hawaii. I mean, you know, you've got to come back and forth all the time to your district or your family. And it's a schlep. I mean, uh, I think Dianne Feinstein has a private plane, but most of them don't. And I think probably all the rest of them don't. But uh, so, you know, I think she felt maybe she had done what she could. Obviously, Democrats are looking at possibly being in the minority uh, come 2023. Uh, And so that's that's not a lot of fun. So it really, I think she, she certainly has earned a retirement, as they all have, frankly, right. when they get up to be that age. And, and we should say, you know, there's still a lot of potential movement and shuffles to come. But we know, and in addition to Representative Spear, Karen Bass down in Los Angeles is not going to run again. She's running for mayor. Um, perhaps even more interestingly, in the Central Valley, Devin Nunes. Could we call him one of the most controversial member of the uh, California delegation? The Republican Democrats love to hate. And some Republicans because he's been suing them over Twitter. Right. Remember, we had Liz Nair on the show. Right. right. Um, But yeah, so his district, it is look it looks like is going to be sort of combined with Kevin McCarthy's. Um, He was a big, you know, ally of Trump. He announced that he was leaving to go run this new media organization that, that Trump is starting. And 
I think that one surprised a lot of folks, too. Yeah, it totally did. And uh, he's leaving early. I mean, he's not even waiting to the end of his term to go take that job. I mean, I'm sure he's going to cash in on all those uh, late night uh, chats with uh, Donald Trump defending him against all kinds of things. But, you know, I was actually went back and looked at the last election. And Andrew Jans, who had been the uh, district attorney in Fresno County, he actually did pretty well. It was like a 53 yeah. 47. Yeah. He raised a lot of money. A lot of people felt it was sort of a waste of money uh, because Nunes was really tough to beat. But as you said, with a redrawn district, uh, you know, it was going to be probably a lot friendlier yeah. to Democrats and harder for him to. It's going to be run. really fascinating to see there, you know, kind of what happens in the Central Valley after this redistricting and, and how it changes. But but I do want to give us a few minutes to talk about you did some reporting this week looking or last week looking at seniority and like what does it matter that we have folks like Spears stepping down like Nunes um I mean, my first thought as a political reporter is like, well, they lose their positions on a on a committee. But with 435 members of Congress, that's not always the most important thing, right? No, it isn't. And it's interesting. A guy, Marzarati and I, our producer and reporter, were at Jackie Spears' announcement where she endorsed Kevin Mullen, the assemblyman from her area, uh, to succeed her, to replace her in uh, next year's election. And I talked with both of them about, like, what does it mean, you know, to lose someone with so much seniority? And, you know, they both said, you know, this is it's about relationships. And that's what you lose is those relationships, unless you're going there and already have relationships. Rokana said, well, I actually from working in the Obama administration, I had known a lot of people on the Hill. Um, and he felt that it was really more important to get new energy, new yeah, blood. Yeah, I was interested by that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, that's what he did. He, you know, he knocked off Mike Honda. But he also a- acknowledged that he did sort of not appreciate how much the experience is helpful to whatever, you know, whatever your policy priorities or your districts are. I mean, I think it, it did sound like he had a bit of a, a a moment when he got to Congress a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not as maybe as easy as you think it's going to be. And maybe you didn't, you know, didn't have a lot of respect for the person you were running against. But still, you know, you get there and it is all about relationships and loyalty and, you and know, also legislating. where stuff is and how, I mean. That building is the building is Byzantine. Confusing, yeah. How do you write a bill? How do you yeah. get it through committee? I mean, those it sounds boring, but those things matter. They do. And that's a point that Jackie Spear made in endorsing Kevin Mullen because he's a legislator, you know, and not mm-hmm. everybody who runs. You don't have to be a legislator, obviously, or an attorney for that matter. A lot of great legislators aren't. Nancy Pelosi, for example. Right. Um, but, you know, to that point, uh, I, I think Jackie Spear and, 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 and Kana both said, look, you know, yeah, you lose some seniority, but the real power in the delegation is Nancy Pelosi. Right. Uh, you know, she's and, the 800-pound gorilla. And she's her future is an open question mark. I mean, it seems that she will probably not run again. She has promised not to run for another term as speaker. Um, but yeah, there was that CNN article, uh, which had a lot of blind quotes in it, um, yeah. you know, and so it's really unclear whether she is going to run again. Some we'll say keep, she will, some say she won't. We'll be we'll keeping be an eye on that in 2022, 2022 exactly. for sure. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll bring you our conversation with Congresswoman Jackie Spear. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. 
Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And on this day before Christmas Eve, we are very excited to bring you one of our favorite interviews. This is a throwback to 2018, a conversation with Bay Area Congresswoman Jackie Speer about her memoir, Undaunted. Enjoy. So you uh, you were born in 1950. We always we have a we have a tradition I'm on this show. Years old. <laughs> okay, yeah. Get oh, that do out the of math. The way. Do the math. Uh, you know, we have a <clears throat> sort of a tradition of beginning with our guests' childhood, and you grew up in the in San Francisco. And uh, I'm just wondering, you know, your parents were both children of immigrants. Uh, what did they instill on you in in you, and like how did they shape the person you are today? Well, in so many ways that it didn't become clear to me until I wrote the memoir that. I was much more like them than not. And yet I saw myself as having, you know, advanced beyond as they would have wanted me to do. I mean, neither of them went to college, but in many respects, my life is formed by their two, you know, gritty personalities and love of this country. Well, it seemed like reading your book, though, that you did have um, some difficulty in school. You were, you were bullied. That's what we would call it now, I think. Um, Girls and my... In my time in third, fourth, fifth grade were cooties. We were all cooties. But somehow I got designated as the queen of the cooties. So they hated me more than all the other girls. And the most humiliating experience was in the fourth grade, I believe, fourth or fifth grade, when um, the May Day dance came about, the Maypole dance. And the boys got to select the girls that they wanted to dance with. And nobody selected oh, no. me. That's the worst. So yeah. I had to run the phonograph machine oh, wow. uh, for the May Day dance. Teachers didn't do a lot to uh, step in no. and help back then, <laughs> huh? Sounds like yeah. a different kind of dodgeball. Yeah. So you were in high school when you first got involved with uh, Leo Ryan. He was running for the state assembly. Uh, how, how did you make that connection? So there's a mail that comes. It's a solicitation to support Assemblyman Ryan. For some reason, I picked up the mail that day. I saw the form. I filled it out, kind of audacious, I guess. Said, I don't have any money, but I'm a 16-year-old kid and you know, would like to volunteer. So I remember this so vividly. Every Saturday morning, I had to vacuum the house. I hated that job. And I'm vacuuming the house. The phone rings. The vacuum cleaner is still going. And I pick up the phone, talk to this person on the other end of the phone. He says, well, you know, we got your your card. We'd like to interview you. Can you come to this address? And so uh, I said, sure. So I drive to this address in Millbrae in the hills. And lo and behold, it's Assemblyman Ryan's home. And there's five or six of his campaign uh, supporters there interviewing. And all of a sudden, uh, they say, well, go to this address in San Bruno and pick up your my uniform or costume, and all of a sudden I was a Ryan girl. I, it pains me. <laughs> Can now you to imagine say that. these days? <laughs> what, the, what was the what yeah. was the costume? So, uh, yeah, this was height of the Beatlemania. 
So it was a mini skirt, houndstooth mini skirt, little bobby hat, houndstooth, black turtleneck sweater, and black tights, and white boots. Go go boots. Wow. You probably remember this, but Hillary Clinton was a Goldwater girl. I don't know if she had go-go boots. Oh, no, she didn't, because my, <laughs> my girlfriend, who is still my girlfriend today, um, was a young Republican and campaigned for Goldwater during the time that I was campaigning for uh, Leo Ryan. Um, I'm curious. I, I know there's a moment in the book where you talk about, you know, being this unpaid intern and thinking about how hard your parents have worked and just saying, I can't do this. Like, I, I can't work for you anymore for free and thinking they would say, OK, be on your way. Um, and it just struck me that that seems like one of the first moments as a woman that you really stood up for yourself in mm-hmm. that way. And I don't know, were, were you did that make you nervous or it was, it was just like, I got to do this. I can't be working for free. I did it because it was just a, you know the reality. It was a great internship. I had learned a lot, but I really needed to to get a paying job to help defray the costs of college, as inexpensive as it was back right. then. And lo and behold, then Assemblyman Ryan says, "Well, let me see what I can do." And he goes down to Rules Committee and gets me um, on staff as a part time assistant. Wow! And then. Well, yeah. go into so all he, the things yeah. you did. So he gets mind. elected to Congress in 1972, I think it was. Uh, along That was Richard Nixon, got reelected that year. Uh, and you go back to D.C. eventually to, to work for him. Uh, what was right. it like for a young woman to be walking the halls of Congress back in Well, in it was exciting. It was, you know, a, a great opportunity. But again, then one morning I wake up and say, do I really want to be a political hack the rest of my life? And What did that mean to you? Well, political just, hack. Well, I, I mean, it just, I wanted more. You know, not, I didn't mean that pejoratively. It was just, I didn't want to do this the rest of my life. And so I, you know, basically went to Leo Ryan and said, I, I really think I want to go back to law school. And then eventually you went back and were hired as his legislative counsel. Correct. Um, and you had worked for him for many years. You guys were, you know, very close professionally. Um, and you ended up being just one of a handful of staffers that decided to go down with him um, to Jonestown. Well, it wasn't like I got to decide necessarily. <laughs> it was there were two staffers, one from the committee. And then he wanted me to come as a member of his staff. Um, I was very rel- I was very nervous about yeah, making the you got a the bad trip. feeling about it. Well, and let's just, for people who may yeah. not know what Jonestown was. So Jim Jones was a very charismatic minister in San Francisco, started the People's Temple, and moved this, you know, hundreds of people from San Francisco, the Bay Area mostly, down to Guyana, Jonestown. He called it Jonestown. And your office began to get letters and calls, right, about the concerns from relatives. And he had been very active politically in San Francisco, too, right? So he was... Well known. Jim well Jones known. Yeah. was sometimes credited as having uh, prevented the recall of then Mayor George Moscone because he had a thousand, two thousand members in his congregation at the time, and at a moment's notice could put all of those uh, members of the congregation walking precincts, and so everyone looked the other way. Uh, Marshall Kilduff wrote the piece in New West uh, Magazine because the Chronicle would not print it, and. That's when he decided that he was going to take a good part of his congregation down to Jonestown. He had started building Jonestown in the mid-70s. 
So he was feeling the heat from the, the, the coverage, the media coverage? So the media coverage, Congressman Ryan had been talked to by concerned relatives. These were parents of mostly young adults who had gotten involved in, in Jonestown, defectors who had left Jonestown, uh, Grace Stone, Tim Stone, Debbie Blakey. And we interviewed many of them. And so there was a real sense that Congressman Ryan had that there's something going on down here and we are not getting um, the, the an accurate assessment. State Department had visited and said, oh, no, everything's great. Can't understand why you want to go down there. And I mean, it was interesting, though, too, because you, yeah, the State Department, it's not just in San Francisco that it seemed like he had connections. Why do you think the federal government was so unconcerned with of, this? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think we know the answer to that question. I think that there might have been some interest in wanting to uh, keep the leader then, whose name was Burnham, he was the prime minister and had close ties with Jim Jones, keep him happy. You know, it's the dictator you know versus the dictator you don't. Bauxite was being imported to the United States from Guyana. It was the source of aluminum. It's unclear to me, but there was not... A, a willingness, even with defectors who came to the embassy in Georgetown, Guyana, talking about what that they had endured, there wasn't enough for them to take it all that seriously. What was it? You said you had misgivings. You were not. You had a, a gut feeling that going down there was going to be problematic. What, what, what was it? Think, was it yeah. just like an intuition? Well, it was in part. I mean, I remember spending one weekend at the office just listening to all these audio tapes of interviews that had been done by local staff in the Bay Area, and being, just feeling like we did not know enough. That, you know, they talked about gun running, they talked about sexual abuse and physical abuse, they talked about these white night trails. I was about to buy a condo in Arlington, Virginia, and I made the contract contingent on my surviving the trip. And then later I found this, I had forgotten about it, I had left a note in my desk um, to my parents with a little reference to this $1,000 life insurance policy I had with the local credit union. Did you share but those that, concerns with Congressman Ryan or anybody? I did. He says, oh, Jackie, there's nothing to worry about. He really thought, you know, there's no member of Congress that had been assassinated in the line of duty abroad, so why be right. concerned? So when you guys got down there and you finally got to Jonestown, it seemed like for a little bit... It, Things things didn't seem that bizarre, but tell tell us what struck you as you sort of as that first day went on. So we were sitting in the back of the pavilion on a picnic benches, and interviewing family members of constituents. So these were young adults for the most part who had left their families, cut off relationships, and many of them we had letters to give to them from their parents, and they all said the same thing, uh, particularly the young girls, they said, uh, I'm very happy here. No, I don't want to you know, talk to my parents or communicate with them. There's nothing I really have to say to them. And by the way, I'm getting married. You know, 18, 19-year-olds. And they all said the same thing. So there was a roteness to it that really was peculiar. In retrospect, made more sense. Right. Kind of cult-like, obviously. And, you know, when Congressman Ryan stood up and said, it looks like so many of you are very happy here, the place erupted in applause. And But it was 
it was frenetic almost, it, and it went on for a long period of time. It, it, there was something very artificial about it. And it was uh, something that was said to a reporter along the trip that really kind of made the turn for you guys. So Don Harris was walking from NBC, was walking around the pavilion smoking a cigarette, and someone slipped him a note with two names saying, we want to get out of here. So at the end of the evening, Don comes over and shows us this note, and my heart sank. I thought, oh, my God, it's everything I feared. Um, there are people being held here against their will. And then as time went by, there were more people More and more people wanted to leave. And what's lost oftentimes in the uh, recounting the stories of Jonestown is that there were about 40 more people that wanted to leave. Congressman Ryan was staying behind because we were going to have to get a second set of planes to come up. And so he was going to be part of the second airlift out. And I was taking the first group to the airstrip to go back to Georgetown. And then there was a knifing attempt on Congressman Ryan. And so they stopped the truck. He came down, got into the cab of the truck. I was in the bed of the truck. And we went to the airstrip. And that's where the where the attack happened on you guys. So before that, though, did I mean, did you guys go up to Jim Jones and say, you know, people want to leave or taking them with us? Or it sounded like the whole thing was just very chaotic. Well, it, it, you know, it, it started to build up. At first, there were just two, and then there was a whole family. The matriarch was probably in her 70s, but there was she and her her son and his wife and their children, and, and then more and more people. And so Don Harris from NBC was interviewing uh, Jim Jones, and he was he said, well, every I, people are lying. You know, they can go if they want. You know, we've heard all of that tape over and over again. But So what happened? You get back to the plane and suddenly there's gunshots. Like Yeah, so I'm loading passengers onto the two planes and so my back is to the tractor trailer which is had followed from behind and was now on the airstrip. And so I didn't even comprehend what was happening when the, the gunshots um, uh, were were first being when the guns were first being fired. And then uh, I I turned around and Ryan had been hit, and so I'm running towards him, and then he got hit again and and fell to the ground, and I ran underneath one of the wheels of the plane. And had you been hit yourself at that point? No, I had not been hit at that point. But you were ultimately struck by, what, five bullets? Five bullets. Still carry two. Um, Wow, they're still in you. mm -hmm. And it took you guys... I mean, a day or two to get out of there. 22 hours without medical attention. How did you survive? I have no idea. It wasn't my turn. I mean, my whole right thigh was blown up. I mean, it was like the size of a football hole. And my arm had a bone coming out from um, the, the gunshot. And I should have, if the femoral artery had been severed, I would have died in 90 seconds. I, it Again, there was a plan. It wasn't my turn. And, uh, you know, because I had that experience, because I came so close to death and survived, it has actually um, informed so much of my life and what I've done with it. Yeah. And you were in the hospital, and then you find out that George Moscone and Harvey Milk had been assassinated. You must have thought, like, the world was coming to it. I thought the world was coming to an end. But I'm in the the equivalent of uh, an iron lung because I'm have gas gangrene and they thought they were going to have to amputate my leg or my arm. And I'm thinking, well, this is it. I mean, it's over. Right. Well, you, to 
Fast forward a little bit. You had a, a, a career in the legislature. You served in the assembly. In the well, she came back Senate. and ran for that Congress oh, well, seat right, first yes. and, and lost. And, and lost. lost. Yeah, yeah. And that sounded like sort of a bitter campaign a little bit because the family, Leo Ryan's family, took different sides with That's different right. candidates. Yeah. And so the children sided with me, the grandmother and mother. I mean, the yeah, the mother and grandmother had, had sided with um, Joe Holsinger. And, it, you know, it had its well. I was only in that race for six weeks. It was a very short campaign. Well, I wonder, do you feel like in hindsight you were still in shock? I mean, sure I was. Of course I was. But it was, in my own mind, I realized I needed to do this for emotional um, stability. I needed to get on with my life. Yeah. I didn't want to be a Guyanese, a Guyana survivor the rest of my life. So um, it was helpful to me. And, kind of and, and maybe in some ways a, a blessing that you didn't get elected because it enabled you to get all this other experience before you ultimately did go to Congress. Yeah, I had no intentions of ever going back to Congress. It was 29 years later. I have the record of the longest time <laughs> for the first time to the second time in winning. Cause right, because you were served on the Board of Supervisors, State Assembly, State, state Senate, Senate. Ran for Lieutenant ran for Governor, yeah. lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the three times I've lost. I love to tell young people this is what a three-time loser looks like. Um, <laughs> well, you, you, and in that time in the legislature, you met and fell in love with your husband, Steve. Um, you guys had a baby. And I know one of the things that struck me is you talked about, as a state lawmaker, bringing your baby to meetings because you didn't have maternity leave mm-hmm, right. and breastfeeding him. Um I mean, it struck a sort of personal chord with me. I took my baby to the DNC a couple of years ago when he was five months old. But I was thinking how much, I mean, more remarkable that was for you at that stage. And I mean, you you had to have been the only lawmaker who was, I was doing that. was the first lawmaker to have a baby while in office, yeah. You had to get passes to get off the floor. I got permanent pass from Willie Brown so I could go. You guys um, mended fences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did mend fences. He was not my... He did not uh, want me to get elected. But, you know, when I, my husband was killed in an automobile accident, and it was 14 years after Jonestown, I, I was so devastated. I mean, I can't begin to tell you how much harder it was to deal with that than Guyana because I'd lost the love of my life. Uh, I was now the, a widow. I had one five-and-a-half-year-old, and I was pregnant with a, a second and it was a high-risk pregnancy, and I was financially um, a basket case because I was three months from personal bankruptcy because he was the breadwinner, and we had bought our dream house and hadn't sold our other. It was horrific. I could almost not breathe. How'd you get through I can't imagine. I talk about the three Fs, family, friends, and faith. People, And you have to be willing to come forward and ask people for what you need. I mean, that's one of the lessons of this book too. Yeah, it does strike me how your women, the women that supported you. And but I think for our listeners they should know too. I mean, before your husband died, you had also gone through mm. some huge traumas, two miscarriages, one of which was very late term, um adopting a baby and then having the birth mother take him back. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember a- after the birth mother um came to pick up uh, the baby in Sacramento. And I'm driving home, and I'm sobbing. And I called Steve, who was working at the ER, and I said, why do these bad things keep happening to us? And he was always such a upbeat person. And he said, no, wait a minute. We have each other. We have this wonderful son. We have our health, and we can try again. Well, you know, I am now in my 40s, right? And what was the likelihood of me getting pregnant with And one vitro? of the reasons was because you had a bullet, right? And your well, pelvis, the 
made it difficult? They we they thought it was, but it wasn't the ball. In the end, it was just age. You know, it was the the specialist who said, well, <clears throat> based on the age of your eggs and your medical history, because I had had these two miscarriages, you have a 10% chance of getting pregnant with in vitro. What were the chances of getting pregnant naturally? Remarkable. Next to none. Well, let's talk about how all of this, I think, impacted you know, your work, which has been also, we haven't even talked about any of her legislative right, victories. Right, right. Yeah, so you, you get elected to Congress in 2008. Uh, Tom Lantos, who had been in the seat, died of cancer, I think it was, and, and you fill out his term and then you get reelected overwhelmingly. So how did all these experiences shape the kind of legislator that you have become, do you think? I think we bring our personal experiences to our legislative work. Whoever you are, you, you just naturally bring them to your work. So for me, uh, I've when I was in the state legislature, I did a lot of work around um, reproductive health for women, um, issues around uh, women's rights and domestic violence and uh, financial privacy and consumer protection. So it's just natural to bring your your personal experience. So, I mean, for instance, when uh, I lost the the adoption, I reduced the length of time that you would wait to know whether or not you were going to be able to adopt a baby from six months to three months. In, in my case, it wouldn't have made a difference, but I could recognize, you know, the impact that that would have on families. I wonder, too, I mean, some of the things that, that struck me in the book was you... T- Everybody does bring their personal experiences in terms of how it informs their work. But you've also been very open about talking about those personal experiences. And I just wonder how that's been received, because I don't think it's always common for um, lawmakers to make things so personal. Well, I like to think there's an authenticity to, to sharing those stories, because you at least understand why someone feels that way. I mean, when I was carrying the assault weapon ban in the state legislature, and one of my colleagues asked me a question and says, Ms. Spear, have you ever shot an assault weapon? I thought, are you kidding me? And he said it again. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to give it right back (laughs) and said to him, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever been shot by an assault weapon? And then I launched into why I had. And then the bill gets off the assembly floor goes to then-Governor Pete Wilson and gets signed That was Congresswoman law. Jackie Speer talking to us back in 2018 about her life and career. She recently announced she'll be retiring at the end of next year. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs>